Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Let's pretend you're working with Michael Jackson, you're going to Neverland, you're with him, you're doing business with him. Let's pretend you have a 10-year-old child. Would you send them to Neverland? In a minute. How quick did I answer? In a minute. Michael never touched those boys. This is the biggest con job on America, on HBO, on the BBC that's ever happened. And I feel sorry for them when the truth comes out. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Very excited today about our show, part two of Two with Jerry Greenberg, who is a legendary music executive president and icon. And before I get started, I want to thank you all so much for subscribing and listening and passing it on to your friends, leaving comments. It means a great deal to me and your letters and your texts and your direct messages and every way you reach me, including FedExes and steamer trunks. I really, really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. It lets me know that we're doing something together that's special and that makes a difference and in the end that's all that we're supposed to do right and hopefully we can do much more than that together and before i get started you can reach me at barry cats at twitter or instagram or you can go to barrycats.com and reach me there and i would be grateful to reach out to you back and let you know how thankful i am and answer a question or two So when I look at Jerry Greenberg and I sit in his office and it's lined inch by inch, foot by foot by photographs of him with some of the most unbelievably iconic music acts in history, it's just incredible what this guy has done. He started as a man with a passion for music. He was a drummer. He didn't want to be a follower. He put together his own band. 
He worked hard to get them signed to a record deal. He worked hard to get them opening up for some of the greatest acts at the time. He then worked hard to create his own music label to put his recordings on that he owned. And he did all this hard work before he was 19 years old. The passion was always there. And through that, you form relationships. They start off with relationships with artists that maybe you don't really know that well, but then they become bigger artists. And then he found his affiliation and then started working his way up the ladder and became the youngest president of a major record label at Atlantic Records at 32 years old, signing some of the most groundbreaking artists in the history of music. And I'm talking about everybody from Foreigner to Phil Collins and Genesis to Whitesnake to Dr. Dre and Easy e to Motorhead, Bad Company, ACDC, Aretha Franklin, Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Eagles, Emerson, Lake & Palmer, Michael Jackson, The Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin. How do you do things like that? You do things like that by making artists feel safe, comfortable, by being trustworthy, by being a chameleon. Every one of these artists and bands were different. There were a lot of variables. The Blues Brothers are going to be way different to deal with than ABBA. Yet he figured out a way to be that guy, the guy that they trusted, the guy that they wanted on the road with them the guy they wanted in the dressing room with them, the guy that they believed was going to make them the most successful, have the farthest reach, make the most money, and was going to be a guy that wasn't going to take all their money away from them. They believed in him, and that's why he is successful and has been successful for decades. If you can figure out a way in any form of business you're in to form those kind of relationships, and to make people feel safe, make people feel honored, make them feel cherished, make them feel like you're going to be the one who's going to help them get to the promised land. And there's no one else out there that could do a better job Then I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Jerry Greenberg has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. A lot of people listening, they don't understand why the label business, I'm going to use the word imploded, and why it went down like it did. Now, I believe it's because with the way the internet is and the way things are going with artists and the bigger artists deciding that they didn't want the corporate thing and they felt that they could do a better job or whatever it is. And the power of the artist became more powerful than the power of the record labels. 
but I want to go back to you again because there had to be, even if you weren't really thinking about it, you had to know or be able to see from afar the things that were happening, the signs that were happening and what you identify. Everybody identifies. You look at Wall Street, you identify, okay, this is the first thing that happened. Okay, then this happened and that happened and that's why it went down here. So in your mind, what was the cascade failure effect of the record labels? What happened in your mind and what were the steps that started to take it down and ultimately has hurt that business so much? I think I could answer that question basically by saying the artists weren't giving the consumer the great music that they needed to do. In other words, there was a lot of one-cut, two-cut albums coming out. And people were starting to like, oh, wow, I got to pay you know, $13 just to get this one cut. Then, of course, Apple started and Steve Jobs I mean, I did an interview with Richard Branson, and Richard Branson said to me, Steve Jobs put him out of business. The Virgin Record Stores out of business. So it's, uh, you know, technology had a lot to do with it. Artistry had a lot to do with it. Um, the change in tastes. I think had a lot to do with it. Uh, you know, older people weren't buying and listening to music like they used to. But I will tell you as somebody who's witnessing a music explosion right now, a music explosion. In what way? Young artists making their own music, doing their own videos, getting Pro Tools, growing up to our music, listening to their parents' music and stealing ideas from Led Zeppelin or stealing ideas from Billy Joel. I see I mean, look at the artists that are all on YouTube and that are being discovered off of YouTube. And I mean, you know, you watch the Grammys and you see how many new acts are being exposed and selling and I mean it's amazing I'm somebody now I've always kind of tried to be ahead of trends okay uh, in the 70s I recognized dance music and discos uh, I recognized rap coming in 1986 I put two live crew in a, in a soundtrack I saw rap coming I saw I gave Dr. Dre and Easy e their first hit with J.J. Fad and Supersonic so it was the first rap record for WEA, W-E-A, distribution that went gold. So then I started a, a, an EDM record label out of Ibiza. But right now, where's Jerry Greenberg's vision? It's in K-pop. I think K-pop music, China, Japan, uh, Korea, BTS, Blackpink, these are the two bands right now that are breaking like crazy. I think K-pop 
listen, it's a teenage market. It's a, you know, people, I don't think 50-year-olds are out now buying BTS. But it's a great new avenue of music. It's it's hip-hop meets R&B meets pop. And uh, record businesses are healthy. I mean, you know, what streaming's doing. I mean... I read, correct me if I'm wrong, I think I read that um, Len, Len, the owner of uh, Warner Brothers, bought the company for $3 billion, and now it's worth $23 billion. So there's great success now back in the music business. Uh, I plan to be a part of it again. Uh, I'm doing a lot of consulting work. I think I can spot trends and... Um, you know, I just put a, a tribute. I'm working on a tribute EP to Michael Jackson called He's the Greatest Dancer. We all know that Michael's the king of pop, but we also should know he was the greatest dancer. Chris Brown, Usher, and Jason Derulo all grew up to Michael Jackson's inspiration of dance. And um, so I'm putting together a a tribute EP. I'm very excited about that. And, um, you know, we're, it's rock and roll. And I like it. (laughs) Tell our audience something that you didn't see coming. Did you see iTunes coming? No, No, I didn't see that coming. Listen, I was there in the beginning with MTV. I saw MTV coming. 1980, you know, Warner Communications, uh, Steve Ross put up a lot of the money for MTV, and I saw that whole video thing coming. Uh, But, you know, downloading singles from Apple for 98, 99 cents or something, wow, oh my God, you know, is that a passing fad or what? But... um, Listen, I, I, I'm a creative content provider, okay? I did a Broadway show with Michael. I learned from David Geffen. I learned from Chris Blackwell. I had these great entrepreneurial people around me back in the 70s, Robert Stigwood, etc. So I'm somebody that, yeah, could I produce a movie? Absolutely. Could I produce a Broadway show? Absolutely. Do I want to do those things? Yes. Do I still feel I'm a content provider uh, person that could get more involved in what's happening today? Absolutely. And that's what I want to do. I I, I mean, I, Norman Lear is still making, making movies. I saw you, you did an interview with Norman Lear. When I grow up, I want to be Norman Lear. <laughs> and, and I did, did do a deal with Norman Lear, which I'll tell you about. So I'm in the Army. I'm in the Army Reserves, and I go to these meetings, and everybody would talk about all in the family. That's what everybody's talking about, Archie Bunker. You see what Archie Bunker did? Now, I would not get home early enough to watch television, but I knew there was something cooking there. So I'm in a meeting, and one of my A&R guys, I said, you know, do you ever watch this show, All in the Family? He said, oh, my God, it's unbelievable. He said, we should do a record of All in the Family. So now I go, and I 
start to watch the show and I see who this Archie Bunker character is. And I find out, I do some checking, Norman Lear and uh, the other partner are the guys that do the show. I call up Norman Lear. I said, listen, I'm coming to California. I got an idea I'd like to talk to you about. She says, sure. I take a meeting with Norman Lear. I walk in, I say, listen, your show all in the family, we'd like to do a comedy record. I said, but I'm gonna make it easy on you. I'm gonna just edit excerpts, the best of all in the family, and put it out on a record. I think it could sell. He like looks at me and I go, like, you know, this is a real good idea. I said, well, I hope you're not going to take my idea and go give it to RCA. He laughed. He said, no, we got a deal. At the time, his lawyer is Jerry Perencio. Jerry Perencio, I find out, is like one of the toughest lawyers in town. So, why, you know, I figure I'll give him five grand or something. You know what I mean? I'm taking, his, I'm taking the tapes. I'm doing all the work. going to put the record out. I'll pay him from record one. He wants $50,000. Parenti goes, we want $50,000. I mean, what? I mean, that's a lot of money just for, you know, to take a advance, you know. Make a long story short, I give it to him. I shake his hand, I go, fine, you got it, 50000 We have a gold record. Gold record. I bought that album. Right. Unbelievable, right? So go figure... I mean, that's why I, I say to people, you got to be in the street. You got to know what's happening in the street. I got that whole idea from my army buddies that were, you know, in an army meeting talking about what's going on. That's finding that stuff in the street. But it's also having vision. Like I say, you know, we I did comedy. I did the album with the Muppets. Uh, I did a lot of soundtracks. I put all the music together for Free Willy, for Michael. I, I came up with the song. So, um, you know, uh, I, I look at Jerry Greenberg as an all-around music record person, and that's what you got to be. There's a lot of guys only would sign a rock band or would only sign a pop band or would only sign hip-hop or would only sign, you know, uh, whatever. I get it. I get it. I, I, I tell people, uh, with ABBA, I just knew it was commercially, could be commercially successful. And heard a record Waterloo and thought it was a hit. And I didn't know who they were, two guys, two girls, you know, from Sweden, no less. But I heard a hit and I thought it could sell. Tell me an artist that you signed, you listened to the music, and you thought to yourself... I have no respect for this music, but I'm signing them because I think it will sell. Okay, I got one story like that. <laughs> no, I really, I got one story like that. And you'll, you'll like it. So this guy who's a producer who produced Itsy Bitsy, Teeny Weeny, Yellow Bikini, you know, I don't mm -hmm. remember. It was a hit record, very poppy hit record. Anyway, he calls me up, he says, I got an artist I want you to hear. And um, can I come up to the office? I said, sure. So he comes up to the office and he plays me this very poppy kid record. It was called Run, Joey, Run, and it was by a guy named David Geddes. So I say, I don't like it. 
He said, I'm telling you this record's a hit. He said, go home, play it for your kids. How old are your kids? And I said, oh, my daughter's 12, and my other daughter's nine. Play it for your kids, see what your kids say. I go, okay. I go home, I play it for the kids, and my kids start singing it, and singing it again and again. They say, oh, daddy, this record's catchy, this record's a hit, this, that, and the other thing. So I go back, and I said to the manager, I said, you know what, you're right. My kid said this record's a hit, I'm starting to grow on me. I said, but I can't put this record out on Atlantic. I said, this is Atlantic record. You know what, Jimmy Page would hear this record <laughs> and say to me, what, the, what label am I on? So at the time, we were distributing a label called Big Tree Records. Doug Morris ran Big Tree Records. And they put out a record, England Dan, John Falcone. They were putting out, like, Brownsville Station. They were putting out pop records. So I called Doug in my office, and I say, Doug, I want you to hear this record. And I play him this David Geddes record and called Run, Joey, Run. And he says, I said, I think it's a hit. What do you think? He said, yeah, I'm not sure. I said, well, here's the deal. I'm going to pay for the record. You're going to put it on Big Tree. If it's a hit, you can keep the profits. If it flops, Atlantic Records, I'll pay the check. I said, but I can't put this record out on Atlantic Records. He said, okay. And we put the record out, and it was a hit. My daughter, to this day, reminds me she has a gold record. <laughs> I gave her a gold record. But that's the only, I would never sign anything. In fact, in my book, in my book, and I didn't remember this, a lawyer at Atlantic Records, a lawyer at Atlantic Records gives a story that he was in a, a, a lawyer meeting and I said, well, and I don't remember the band, but he repeated this from my book. He said, I never forgot Jerry Greenberg saying, you know, this band could have a hit. There could be a hit here, but the band is not good and I'm not signing something to Atlantic Records that I feel is not credible and stands up with the kind of artists that we were putting out. We did have an image, and it was important to me not just to sign a 45 or a one-hit wonder, was to try and sign credible Artist, and that's what I did with the hypothetically with the David Geddes record. I mean, he never had another hit. I knew it was just a hit single, but I wasn't going to put that record on Atlantic. One of the things you talk about is being that guy who's in the inner sanctum. You were part of bands where you were in dressing rooms. You saw things happening that were self-destructive behavior for many, many artists. Were you ever the guy who would take somebody aside and say, look, man, you got to stop this. You're going to kill yourself here. And were you ever successful doing that? And did you ever lose an artist through a death because they self-imploded. In answer to your question, the question is no. I never did that. You never stepped in. I never sat with anybody and and told them that they were doing too much in their life, whether it was booze 
or or drinking or drugs. I, I will tell you this, that I, as a record man and an ex-musician, smoked a lot of weed because that's what we did in the 70s. But I never put anything up my nose or I never did cocaine. I never did heroin, never did anything other than smoke some weed. And I'll tell you why I think that happened. Because I got a call, i never forget this, I got a call that the drummer from AWB, Average White Band, OD'd and was dead in California. And I said, I, it just it was unbelievable how it shook me up. And what they said was he was going to do some cocaine, but it was heroin and this and that. And I will tell you that on many occasions I was backstage with different bands and they'd be passing that stuff around, you know, and it would drop into my palm of my hand and I would turn it over and pass it on to the next guy. I would never, ever try to, you know, do any hard drugs or anything like that. But I also didn't feel it was my place to say, hey, man, I think you're doing too much of that or this, that, and the other thing. Um, you know, would I say it to a manager? Yes. Would I say it to an artist? No. Um, just never did. All your stories in your life are before us right now. It's like a huge screen of everything that's ever happened to you. Tell our audience the most craziest holy shit I cannot believe that I was there to see that happen moment in your career I think that moment it's a good question I've had a lot of them but I will have to tell you that I think that moment came on stage Led Zeppelin encore whole lot of love they would bring out a set of congas and richard cole the road manager would go out and play congas on whole lot of love and i'm standing there and i bring the congas out and i turn to richard cole and i go richard let me go out and play and he says can't leave me alone i said come on you know i'm a drummer let me go out and play the encore and he goes Give me $50, I'll let you do it. <laughs> so I reach in my pocket, I pull out 50 in a hot flash. He gives me the sticks. I go on stage and I am playing drums, congas, on Whole lot of Love. Bonzo looks over at me. I was very close with everybody in the band. Bonzo starts laughing. Jimmy and Robert turn around. They see me, they start laughing. Everybody's hysterical. But the highlight of that moment, uh, that highlight of that whole incident, the song finished, I put the sticks down and I go to get off stage, but Bonzo grabs me by my shirt, drags me up right into the middle of the guys. I got Robert and Jimmy on one side. I got Jonesy and Bonzo on the other side. He put me in the middle of Led Zeppelin, and I'm taking a bow, whole lot of love. I got chills on now because I re that incident was like. Now, 
of course, later in life, even up to now, we're trying to find anybody that had a picture of that, but Peter Grant never let cameras in there. People weren't allowed to take pictures, this, that, and the other thing. So in my documentary, we talk about it, and we drew, we put a cartoon of me. You'll see it, uh, a cartoon of me playing the congas and then going on stage with them. But to this day, now you got to remember, I cut a deal with Foreigner, and I said to Foreigner, I'm going to give you a gold record, but you're going to let me play drums at Madison Square Garden. They said, okay. So I ended up playing drums at Madison Square Garden with Foreigner. Yes gives me a drum set. I kiddingly say to them, take my drum set out to Nassau Coliseum. I want to sit in. I go out to Nassau Coliseum. Sure enough, they print the drum set out, and I jam with, with uh, yes, Nassau Coliseum. I've always stuck my nose into trying to jam with these bands. The only one I haven't jammed with, although I, it was a private party, I jammed with, the, with some of the Stones. But um, I still have my love for playing drums. I still, you know, I never leave you. You're, once you're a musician, you're always a musician. I mean, if, if, if uh, uh, Charlie Watts broke his arm, I'd call him Mick saying, Mick, you need somebody old like Charlie to play drums. Take me out with the stones. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, uh, that, but think about that. I tell people that Jerry Greenberg is the only guy in the world Think I'm in the world to play drums with Led Zeppelin on the stage at Madison Square Garden. Greatest writer you ever represented. They might not have been the greatest performer. They might not have been the most successful, but the greatest writer of the words. You think about the stories that Jimmy, Robert, Jonesy, and Bonzo, you think about Led Zeppelin, you know, trampled underfoot or stairway to heaven or you know as writers english writers uh unbelievable i mean pop writers niall and bernard if you think about chic and you think about sister sledge and you think about niall writing for madonna and bowie and all of that i mean he's a great great songwriter i mean cherry wexler i mean it's amazing John Prine just got an award from the Grammys. Jerry Wexler signed John Prine when the, when he was probably 22 years old. I mean, I I learned from Wexler the importance of songwriters and songs. My first job at Atlantic Records when I came to Jerry as his executive assistant was to find songs for Dusty Springfield, Carol King. Goffin, you know, all those great, great songwriters. So I got my education from Jerry that songwriters are very important. Very important. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, 
and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey everybody, I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. Let's go way, 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 way back. Take us back to where you grew up, the socioeconomic dynamic. And what was your first inspiration to getting into this crazy business? My my inspiration basically was at 14 years old, I sat behind a drum set and the guy went over to my my mother and said, your son has natural rhythm, you should give him drum lessons. So she gave me drum lessons. Then I formed the band. And we had the hottest rock band to play college fraternities when I was 17, 18 years old. If you saw Animal House, remember Animal House and they had the fraternity party and you had that band playing Twist and Shout? That was my band, okay? I mean, we would, that's what got me into the business. Then I met a guy who started making records and wanted my band to back up the Five Satins out of New Haven, Connecticut. and. So now I got a little taste of the record business. Then I got took a job as a local promotion man promoting records in Hartford. Did that for four years. Then I got 
picked off by Jerry Wexler to join Atlantic Records. But before that, I think it should be noted that you were the kind of artist that if you were starting today, you would have your own YouTube channel. You would have your own distribution platform because you created your own record label when you were a teenager. Oh, yeah, and that's pretty amazing. That was pretty amazing because we cut a record and we couldn't get a label to put it out. So I called up RCA Victor and I pressed the record myself and we put it out locally in Connecticut. Yeah, I'm probably the first guy at 17 years old to have his own record label. Incredible. Yeah. When you were 17, one of the things that shocked me the most when I was a young kid, and I guess it meant the most to me, and it wasn't even rock and roll at first. It was James Taylor's first album because he was 17. And I didn't understand how anybody found this guy that young. Because back when you were signing artists, you could count on half a hand the teenagers that were signed then. There weren't that many. No, there weren't. So how did somebody like when James Taylor became so successful, why didn't people go out and try to find... To me, that's the one thing about the record business that surprises me the most when you were at the height of your game teenagers weren't looked upon as entities that could make money now teenagers are the ones making all the money that's true that's true but listen aretha jerry signed aretha i'm trying to figure out how old she was 67 we were about the same age she was probably 24, 25, Aretha Franklin, Jerry Sign, you know, uh, so many young artists, uh, you know, Donnie Hathaway, Roberta Flack. They, they were all not teenagers, but they were all very, very young. And, uh, you know, uh, there were a, a slew of artists still. Listen, we didn't sign the Osmonds or acts like that, you know, but the acts that we did have on the label were were basically, you know, Boz Skaggs, Jerry signed Boz Skaggs, he signed Lawton Wainwright, and these were all artists that were in, young in their 20s, singer-songwriters. What was your first big break in show business and how did it happen? How did you get the gig? What did they see in you? that blew them away, that made them say, I want you to work with us? The, the, the promotion guy who was head of promotion at Atlantic in New York, and I became very friendly. And uh, I would call him, you know, if they sent me, a, 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 I, I got you, babe, Sonny and Cher, or this, that, and the other thing, I would recognize a hit as soon as the record came into the warehouse from Atlantic in New York, and I had a, put it on the radio before I took it to a radio station. So all of a sudden he recognized that I got great ears. And apparently he would tell Jerry Wexler, oh, I got this kid up in Harford. He keeps picking the hits, this, that, and the other thing. So Jerry says to him, I just bought this record out of Sheffield, Alabama by a black artist named Percy Sledge called When a Man Loves a Woman. He said, Send it up to the kid. I want to know what he thinks of it. So they, I don't know whether they sent a special delivery or a driver brought it up, but it was on a disc. And I listened to the record and I go, holy mo, oh my God, this is a monster. 
So I call my guy and I said, this record's a hit. I said, can I take it to a radio station and test it for you? He said, sure. So I'm very good friends with a disc jockey at a radio station. I drive to the Haven. I go in. It's like one o'clock in the afternoon. I go, Tracy, do me a favor. Put this record on. I want to, I want to see what the reaction is. Now, this is when a man loves a woman, Percy Sledge puts, drops the needle. He listens, and he got great ears, and he goes, oh, my God, this record's unbelievable. I said, yeah. All of a sudden, you could see the phones lit up. People That's calling, when the buttons had the lights All on the them. buttons with the lights. Yeah, it's called Percy Sledge. When a man loves when he hangs up. He waits two hours, plays the record again, two hours. Phones are going crazy, crazy. Now, there's a record shop in New Haven, Connecticut, called Cutler's Records. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, the phone rings. Tracy uh, picks it up. He goes, listen, this is Cutler Records. Uh, this record that you keep playing, what's the name of it? When can we get it? Blah, 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 blah. Click. I call Jerry. I call Henry Allen. I say, put me through to Jerry. He puts me through to Jerry. <coughs> I said, Jerry, you're going to have the biggest pop pop crossover record in your life with this. I said, I'm up here in New Haven. We played the record three times. Record stops are calling. The phones are going nuts. He goes, oh my God, great. And that's how I got the job. He calls me after that record blew up. He calls me up and he says, listen, I want you working for Atlantic Records. He said, you know, so I said, listen, I got a problem. I have to go in the Army. I signed up for Army Reserves, and you had to go in for six months and serve. I said, I don't want to come to work for you, and then I, they call me. Let's wait till after they call me, and then I go, you know, and I go, and, and, and I'll join Atlantic. One, One two, two, three, cuatro, five, cinco, six. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention a name. I want you to tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Could be a word, it could be a sentence, a little tiny story, anything. Jim Henson. Genius. The Spinners. Unquestionably the best pop R&B crossover group that I ever worked with. To this day... I keep singing their song. I mean, I'm dragging it out. But one of a kind <laughs> love affair is. Now, believe it or not. Could you I, sing? I got the rights. I have the rights to the Linda Creed story. Linda Creed and Tommy wrote a lot of the hits for the spinners. And they, uh, listen, in, you'll see I talk about them in my documentary. But those songs, when you think about Sadie, when you think about could it be I'm falling in love, when you think, I mean, I can rattle them all off, babe. You, I mean, you want to talk about a spinner groupie? I'm, I'm a spinner groupie. Phil Collins. Phil Collins, great drummer, great artist, great person. Mick Jagger. Fantastic businessman. Because Mick was the one that would come in on every record and sit across from me and go, what's the plan? How much you spending? Are we doing billboards? 
what did they? It was Mick. Sometimes with this Peter Rudge, and sometimes with the manager. But if you were asking me, like I did with Jim Henson, what's the first word that came to my mind? Businessman. Got it. But he was he was a wonderful human being. I sent him a I sent him I have have his publicist, so I sent a note, dear Mick. Same thing. I went through the same thing. No problem. You'll be fine. Just remember, it's only rock and roll. Love, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Bette Midler. Superstar. I broke her first record, Do You Want to Dance? That's a, that's a whole similar story to the uh, Percy Sledge story where the producer came out of the studio and goes, man, I just think I cut a smash with Bet. Listen to this. And it was Do You Want to Dance? She did a remake of Do you... I was good friends with Don Imus. Best friends with Don Imus. Wow. I call up Imus. And, you know, Bet had this underground thing going in New York. Everybody knew who she was. I said, I'm going to send you over smash record by Bette Midler and I said it's going to be our first single it's not out yet again played it three times phones lit up now if you remember correctly back in the day WABC wouldn't play a hit record unless it was like top 10 I mean, they put Bette Midler on after two weeks that's how big I must force that record on ABC Motorhead you know it's so funny I was just thinking now when you said the oldest artist that I ever signed, I was just looking at the picture of Lemmy. I said, I bet Lemmy was probably the oldest artist I ever signed, <laughs> right? Uh, I loved Lemmy in that band, okay? And not too many people. I gave him their first Grammy Award. So when you talk about Jerry Spectrum, heavy metal, Jerry, Motorhead, same guy that signed ABBA? What the? Hello? Because Motorhead wasn't about hits. Oh, no. So when you talk about, hey, we played it in the conference room, you see a hit in there. It wasn't about the hits. It was about the aura. Yeah, man. And the credibility of the band. Think about, you know, the, the drummer and, and uh, Phil Campbell and, you know... Think about it. Aretha Franklin. Greatest singer that ever lived. That's my one line. But, again, the fact that I was Jerry Wexler's assistant, the fact that the studio was probably 50 feet from my office, the fact that Jerry Greenberg could walk into that studio anytime he wanted while she was sitting at the piano making those records. Second greatest thrill then to plan with Led Zeppelin. Okay, now let's cut to the fact that she and I, when she died, I realized we were both the same age. When, in, in the, when you look at that picture, you see... We were both the same age. Um, so I see Aretha, I'll give you the Aretha story. I see Aretha 15 years ago, first time in like 15 years, kiss a huggy, and she says, 
I said to her, oh my God, baby, I said, you know, I got such great memories of, of you recording at Atlantic. I said, I'll never forget walking in when Arif Mardin was putting the strings on Natural Woman. I mean, remember, I mean, that was like a classic, classic record with strings. I said, I almost fainted. And she looked me dead in the eye. She goes, Jerry, I almost fainted when I heard it. <laughs> but she was the sweetest, loving, caring human being that I ever met. Like Michael. Michael Jackson was the same way. Caring, loving. Uh, you know, I saw Quincy Jones not too long ago. I said, Quincy, you're the only two guys. We're the only two guys that work with the queen of soul and the king of pop. And he laughed and he knew knew what we were talking about. Wow. Abba. Abba. So uh, Abba, you know, you got to remember. How right. come they're the biggest band in the world and I can't name one person? And if I went out on the street and said, name the four Beatles, name the four Rolling Stones, or name yeah, it's amazing. Abba, why wouldn't anybody know? Uh, well, let me tell you something. In America, you're probably correct. Go to Canada, go to Australia, go to England, forget about it. This was the last market for them to break and was very, very tough uh, for whatever the reason was. And like I say, you'll see, I, you know, I keep... Going back to the documentary, you'll see they didn't break the Dancing Queen. But um, they were incredible. They were nice people. Uh, I didn't meet them until after we put out a couple of their records and finally got them to tour to America. Uh, I got them to come to do a little promotion. But they were, you know, Benny and Bjorn, the two songwriters, and musicians were incredible writers, just incredible writers. And I loved their songs. I mean, yeah, they were poppy and this and that. We almost called and still may call my documentary, Thank You for the Music. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. 
Mariah Carey and Tommy Mottola. Well, I had nothing to do really with, with Mariah other than the fact that, <laughs> that in a segment in my documentary, it's going to be artists that we missed. And I was going to sign Bon Jovi, uh, and we, I missed him. Not because of me, because of circumstances. I wanted to sign Billy Joel. I wanted to sign Aerosmith. I wanted to sign uh, Kelly Clarkson. I wanted to sign uh, Sean Paul. I have a whole list that's going to be in my documentary of artists that we missed for one reason or another. Mariah Carey was the background singer to a girl named Brenda K. Starr who recorded Of course. We gave a party for the launch of WTG. Brenda asked me, she said, I'm going to come to your party and I wanted you to meet somebody. They walked into the lobby of, and there was eight people all standing around. She introduces me to Brenda K. Starr. I mean, Brenda K. Starr introduced me to Mariah Carey. They put Mariah Carey's tape, demo tape, in my hand. She said, Jerry, I want you to hear this. Tommy Mottola comes along, looks, takes one look at Mariah Carey and goes, I'll take that tape. He took it out of my hand, and the rest is history. <laughs> Called my office the next day. Give me Brenda's number. I'm on a plane six months later with Tommy. His court, the corporate jet, and I say, whatever happened to that girl with that tape? He said, I signed her. I said, you're kidding. You signed it to where? To Columbia. Why didn't you sign her to my label? He said, no, I'm going to work with her. Donnie needs a hit. We got to get my, uh, we got to get the label going. So that was a big one. Mariah will confirm the story, and you never look back. You never look back. I was happy for Tommy. I was happy he fell in love with her. You know, happy they got married. And that was history. The Blues Brothers, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. The Blues Brothers. So, of course, we all watched that show and we all loved it. A guy who worked at Atlantic was good friends with Belushi. His name was uh, Michael Kleffner. Michael Kleffner comes to me and he says, you know, they're talking about maybe making a record like like the Blues Brothers. I said, you're kidding me. Who's their manager? He said, Bernie Brillstein. I said, get me his number. I called Bernie. I said, Bernie, if they're going to do this record, they're going to do it for me. Sam and Dave were on Atlantic. Tell Johnny, you know, they got to do it for Atlantic. And the rest is history. I made the deal. I made that, the first deal with him for that, for the Blues Brothers, but then this is a great story. Bernie calls me up. He goes, kid? Yeah. I said, yeah. He said, I got a great deal for you. I said, you're kidding. What? So he said, I'm going to give you the soundtrack to the Muppet movie. So I go, okay, great. What do we got to do? So he says, uh, you're going to fly with me out to meet Jim Henson. We're going to go out California next week. I go, okay, great. So now I buzz my secretary and I go, do you know who the Muppets are? So she goes, ask your kids. They're mother, they're, they have a TV show. So I call my kids. My kids go, yeah, Daddy, we watch it all the time. It's a very funny, very hip show. They have artists on there. So I go, okay. So now I get a tape of the Muppets, and I see Alice Cooper's on there. Uh, you know, wow, it's a real hip show. 
I go with Bernie. I go meet Jim Henson. I tell him I want the soundtrack. Now, they play me a song, Rainbow Connection. They said, we got this. I said, what's the album going to be? Well, it's mostly score. But we got this song that we like. They play me Rainbow Connection by Paul Williams' song. And I said, Jesus Christ, that could be a hit. They said, I said, who's going to sing it? Kermit the Frog. I said, wait a minute. You got a frog that's going to sing this song? And they go, yeah. This is a good story. So I said, okay, let's make the deal. Let's go. Now, I go back. This is great. I go back, and I'll never forget this. I walk into Almond's office. Jerry Wexler's sitting there. And I go, you're not going to believe it. I just came back from California. I just made us a deal. We're going to have the soundtrack to the Muppet movie. Almond's got this blank stare on his face. He goes, who's the Muppets? I go, oh, there's puppets. They got a TV show. I'll never forget it. He looks me dead in the eye. I goes, TV doesn't sell. Look what happened to Tony Orlando. Look what happened to Sonny and Shear. I go, Almond, this show's going to sell. Trust me. So he goes, what's the soundtrack going to be? I said, soundtrack is going to be mostly score but they got a great song written by Paul Williams you know Paul Williams oh yeah sure who's gonna sing the song well <laughs> they got this frog named Kermit wait a minute you're telling me a frog <laughs> is gonna sing a, a song by Paul Williams and I said yes sir I'll never forget this Jerry Wexler looks at Almond. He says, Almond, the kid's right more than he's wrong. If he tells you he's going to have a hit song with Kermit the Frog, trust him. And I walked out of the office and the rest is history. We had a platinum album. Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. I, I, I have a label deal with Sony, my own label. Uh, my lawyer calls me and says, listen, Michael Jackson just got a new deal. He's going to start a label, and um, he, he wants you to take a meeting. I took a meeting with Michael Jackson. I came home. I told my wife I just met Walt Disney. I said he's the most incredible visionary I ever met in my life. He's going to start a label. He's going to start do Broadway. He's going to do uh, movies. And he offered me to, to run his company, and I'm going to do it. But, um, again, in, in, in trying to sum up, if you gave me that one word uh, to Michael Jackson, I would have to use almost the same as Jim Henson, genius. Oh, no, I, I could say creative genius or whatever. But he was just a wonderful human being, and I loved him dearly. And if you don't mind, the day Michael Jackson passed away, tell our audience your story. Well, that day, the day he, he passed away, it was a total shock to me. And um, I was doing interviews for almost 15 hours straight. The next day, I was doing an interview with Geraldo Rivera. And I came home and my wife said, 
you didn't look well. What, what's going on? I said, I don't know. I had this pain down my leg and a pain down my back. And she said, We're ta I'm taking you to the doctor right away. So we went to the doctor. The doctor didn't like what he saw. He rushed me over to St. Joe's. And what they said is, I, and, and at St. Joe's Hospital here in Bur Burbank, I flatlined for 17 seconds. 17 seconds, no heartbeat. When I came to, they said, he, my doctor said, I think you fainted, but they knew it was something more serious than that. They found out I had a torn aorta, which was the same thing that happened to John Ritter in St. Joe's, where he passed away. And they immediately rushed me to USC and put me in intensive care. And that happened in 2009, and here we are, 2019, and Jerry's here talking to you. Let's pretend you're working with Michael Jackson, you're going to Neverland, you're with him, you're doing business with him. Let's pretend you have a 10-year-old child. Would you send them to Neverland? In a minute. How quick did I answer? Very In quick. a minute. Michael never touched those boys. This is the biggest con job on America, on HBO, on the BBC that's ever happened. And I feel sorry for them when the truth comes out. And that's my answer. What's your batting average as a signer? What percentage of the artist did you sign that produced hits and made money for the company versus the ones I'm, that lost? How about 80%? That's huge. I know it's huge. Tell our audience an artist that you didn't quite think had anything going, but just on a whim, you were on a roll, you're like, eh, I'll just sign them. And they did really well. And conversely, tell our audience an artist that you thought, oh my God, this is going to be the biggest, and it never happened. Oh God, yeah, that that's going to be tough. I gotta I gotta really think about that. But I can give you an artist that I signed, that I loved, that I thought had the potential to be the next foreigner. Believe it or not, their names the name of the group was called Photo Maker, and it contained two of the rascals, Gene Cornish, and uh, and the, and, the, and the drummer, and. Uh, I really thought they, that that group was going to happen, and it didn't. So, Photomaker was one that I believed in and didn't happen. And I'm and there were, I'm sure there's a a whole list more that I would have to sit down and try and think about. Your proudest moment in show business. Proudest moment in show business. Meeting my wife. Meeting an angel that walked into my life and put a smile on my face every day, every day, and having a partner that loves you and your music and what you did and doesn't get, and, and doesn't have an ego or doesn't let my ego go crazy. And, you know, to be able to look around and see people like myself who are creative but are in an atmosphere that they did great with their kids 
I mean, I got two great girls. She ad- adopted her son. She got a great boy. I got a great stepson. So to have a life that in music, which is an entertainment, which is a tough business, to have a normal life is pretty amazing. I mean, when I go back and I think about my days at Atlantic, that I could come home at night. Who could come home at night and discuss their business with their two kids? Not a plumber, not a construction guy, not an insurance salesman. I'm sitting at the table and my kids are going, Daddy, did you talk to Belushi today? We say, you know. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. My business, uh, my biggest disappointment in, 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 in show business was certain people. I'm not gonna name names, but certain people who I thought were really honest and good turned out to be not so honest and not so good. And I guess that's life, that's Hollywood. When you really looked up to somebody and all of a sudden later on realized, wait a minute, that that wasn't the person who I really thought it was. But that's in any business, I guess. Were you ever the kind of guy who when that person came to you five years, 10 years later and said, Jerry, I did a bad thing. I know I did. Can we create a better relationship? Were you the kind of guy who they were dead to you after that or did you take them back? Oh, oh no, I would, I, would, I would always forgive and forget, but forgive. I didn't have too many of those. And it was, it's amazing. Here's a Jerry Greenberg motto that I think I thought of. I never let ego get in the way of good business. So if it was somebody who I really felt, I really gotta do business with this guy, but yet he managed an important act, or he's gonna bring me a hit song, or he's gonna, you know, I, I never, as I say, let ego get in the way of good business. Awesome, you know, my 13 year old son, I told him I was doing an interview with you and all the people. And he said, if I mentioned a teenage artist who's a singer who's taking the internet by storm and every kid listens to her, would he know who she was? And I said, let's give it a shot. And her name is Billie Eilish. Yeah, I know who she is. Everybody loves her music and that is one of the most incredible success stories right now that's happening. This is a kid who started at 14, I think she's 17. Same story, doing uh, her videos on YouTube, that's where they found her. And, um, you know, listen, I found a girl, uh, uh, she's 14, 15 years old. I worked with her for almost five years me and a, another producer. I brought her everywhere. I didn't have a record company uh, at that time. This almost like two years ago. I brought her everywhere, but now she finally, and my contract ran out, I had X amount of time to make a deal. She finally got a deal with Atlantic Records. But it's very hard 
today to get the attention of these record companies because all they're doing is watching YouTube and they want to go. If I call the record company now and I say, oh, I got this artist, I want, how many views does she have? How many followers does she have? So you almost have to create your own momentum today to even get to a, a, a record company. But the problem for the record company is going to have is they're going to start, these kids are going to start their own record companies. Like Jerry Greenberg did when he was 15 years old. He started his own record label. This girl could have started her own label, had a, you know, got with uh, all these independent distribution companies, ADA or Caroline, owned it herself, and the hell with her. The hell with Interscope, the hell with Republic, the hell with Atlantic. So record companies better wake up and figure it all out. The big money now for record companies, I think, are going to be when they created these 360 deals and owning a piece of the management. Because if you're not getting a piece of that T-shirt, you know, you're missing the boat. Last question. What advice do you have for the young artist today who wants to have the kind of career of the over 25 different artists that are on the walls of this office that have uh, become legendary? What uh, does a young artist have to do? This is my advice. It's called the big P. What's the big P? Patience. Patience, patience, patience. You will make it if you really got it. Trust me. I mean, this uh, girl called her, H-E-R, black girl who's like, I just saw her for the first time at Clive's party. I, I almost fell off my chair. I couldn't believe it. But I heard, she started when she was 14. Okay. Patience and keep doing what you're doing and love music it's the international language it's happening bigger than ever k-pop is exploding it took years for everybody to wake up and say oh my god this is really good it's exploding today patience and keep going in that bedroom and listen to everything listen to older music listen to the uh, music that your parents grew up to steal those ideas and uh, god willing you will become the next great big artist. Jerry Greenberg, this has been unbelievable. What an honor. Thank you so, so much. Well, it was great talking with you also, my friend. You are a legend and an inspiration. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner, and they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Cardnat, February 20th, 2017. The heading reads, great, five stars, and the comment reads intelligent and insightful <laughs> well thank you cardinat that was short and sweet and i appreciate it it means a lot and that wraps up part one of our podcast 
I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code BEAR and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Just keep doing it. Keep Jay Moore. Just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I can't. I don't know where to do it. Then don't do it. If that's your conversation in your head, you should not do it. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drive that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going for life is for the dreamers. They have all to gain. It's never quite over, so it all feels the same. Pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune. Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to BarryKatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.